Hello, space nerds. Welcome to Raktagino and Root Beer, a Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Michael. On this podcast, we are reviewing every Deep Space Nine episode from the pilot to the finale. It'll be so exciting, it's going to give you umox. Pull up a chair and join in the discussion over some Raktagino and Root Beer. If you would like to contact us, set hailing frequencies to rrds9podcast at gmail.com. Today on the show, we are going to review Season 7, Episodes 7 and 8, Once More Onto the Breach, and The Siege of AR-558. Just flows off the tongue so easily. Uh, Michael, why don't you start us off with Once More Onto the Breach? Uh, Kor is back. I think he's the last remaining uh, legendary Klingon. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, nobody likes him, He's because when you're... a Legend, you make a lot of enemies, as many rappers have rapped before. Yeah, uh, and like, he wants to go on some one grand mission, uh, you know, because he's having as he's aging, he's got an aging brain. His memory isn't that great anymore. Um, Martok has a good plan to to blow up some stuff deep into Cardassian space, and Worf says, "Can Kor come along?" And Martok says, "No way! I'm one of the people who hate his guts because I come from a very poor family. And when mm-hmm. I applied to be an officer of the Klingon Empire, Kor said, oh, he's not noble blood, and he rejected me. So he's got a grudge against him. Um, they go on this crazy mission, uh, basically, in order to save their own necks. They need one bird of prey to do this crazy suicide mission against ten Jem'Hadar ships. Kor signs up." Actually doesn't. Worf signs up. Kor knocks out Worf and does it anyways. Uh, manages to fend ten of them off and, and give everybody else a chance to escape back to Federation territory. And Kor dies a legend. The end. Okay, there we go. That was my super speedy <laughs> summary. Yes, yes. Um, oh, there's a plot B where Quark uh, is really into Ezri. Yeah, that's what it's, I was going like to mention. It's like, like an ongoing thing. I was like, I kind of forgot what was that plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did you think of this episode? I love this episode. Um, I Again, it's it's an amazing Klingon episode, and and I really like seeing the old-timers back. Yeah. Uh, and he's the last of the old-timers. It was, I love Kor. He's such a great character. The Dahar Master. Um, and I like this whole, I, I thought it was very kind of beautifully done how he, how, um, Martok is just very dismissive of him because he represents a lot of yeah. less egalitarian things in the Klingon empire that they've perhaps moved beyond. Worf, who's of noble blood, gets along really well with Kor. Um, but, uh, Martok comes from more humble origins. I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but but Kor is is he's a complicated character. He's not that likable, you know. No, he isn't. Uh, but then he has these beautiful moments where um, basically the crew of the ship turns against him after his memory lapse, um, and he says he has his he basically starts spouting poetry, saying you know the fruit of life is whatever sweet until. It hangs on the vine for too long. That it tastes bitter. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful moment, and and I think it's done very well because Martok, who's kind of leading the charge against them, feels bad yeah. about what he said. Um, and I think I think uh, the acting is amazing. I, I think amazing explosions, very exciting. Yeah, very exciting explosions. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, an action-packed, uh, pretty good episode. Yeah, it was. It was pretty good. The Ezri and Quirk plotline was stupid. 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Even... I t- like. I don't even. It, it was so minor to this episode. It, it's. It doesn't really factor in anywhere. I, I mean, know. it's. It, it's. It's like one tenth of the episode. Yeah. Um, I did. Uh, yeah. No, this is a good episode. I don't think I was super jazzed about it, but I did like it. Uh, you know, it's an interesting episode where there's scenes. There's like major scenes in it where none of the major characters are involved in it, right? The only character who's really involved in this entire episode is Worf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest is just carried by the supporting characters, like Martok and stuff. And so, yeah, and, and I like all the... I like how they've shown a complexity to the Klingon relationships that goes beyond just, oh, they like to kill each other, right? Yes. And that there's a complexity to their society that is, yeah. you know... Um, it's interesting, right? I, it, it's a character study, really, of core. Yeah, and, and it's also this idea that the the Klingons are obsessed with becoming becoming this legendary heroic figure, right? And getting into Stovakor. Here's an example of someone who's achieved that, and it's and it and the impact it's had on their own identity and who they are and and how other people relate to them is really is really twisted. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think. I, I want to touch on one thing with Esri, though. I did like that scene where, excuse me, she's talking about how um, how there's this moment when Trills, they have a new host, and then everyone comes up to them and says, oh, I, I kind of see in your smile the previous host, yeah. and in your eyes, your eyes are the same, which is insane because it's a totally new, different body. You know, yeah. a different body. But I thought that that would have been an interesting comment on the actor replacing another actor. You know, and, and people trying to read into it and, and constantly compare her to Jadzia. You're reading so much into this, Michael. I, I am, but I thought, I thought it was kind of a nice part, part to it. And, and I've said this in, the last, in our last few episodes, I am an Esri defender. I like Esri, and, and I like... I'm not so crazy about the character, but uh, the actress, Nicole mm-hmm. DeBoer, is doing a great job. She's great. Yeah, she has a lot of natural charisma and charm. Uh, and... Uh, particularly with the kind of she's been given a terrible task to complete I mean Quark Quark is most fun when he's about profit I don't like him mm-hmm. when he's like in love sack love love lorn puppy yeah. dog because once again you know you don't get plot lines like there's so many plot lines right now about men being lovesick for women, in particular, someone Dax related. Like, it's right. just like everyone is just focused on Dax. Like, somehow she's this emblem of everything that could possibly be a symbol of womanhood. And it is so annoying to me. Like, mm-hmm. whenever anyone's going, I love you, I love you, it's like, oh my God, just find another person to be interested in. Yeah. Someone who, you know, might be interested in you too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was not that crazy about it. I feel like they can. There's better things Quirk could be doing. I would I would say Star Trek historically has never been very good at love plots. Yeah, I mean sometimes it can be good. In particular, you know what? Whenever it's with war. Oh, except for Picard and and Vash. <laughs> That's my. I guess. That was okay. I guess. Picard, and, and, no, Picard and Beverly had, Crusher. Picard has, has had some good romances. Yeah, I take it back. Yeah, like the uh, the Perfect Mate episode is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek mm. The Next Generation. And uh, that's an amazing episode. And that's about... Or, Ry- or Riker and Deanna. What am I talking about? 
Yeah, Riker and Deanna, not so much. I like Worf and Deanna. I know everyone Worf was, and Deanna? Yeah, I know everyone was like, whatever, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I really liked it. But, um, uh, yeah, the... Worf and Jitzia, to me, is the high watermark of yeah, the couple. Cause it's, I put that above O'Brien and Keiko. O'Brien and Keiko work well, mm-hmm. you know, because you can see how they work together, right? And you can see how Worf and, and Dax go together. Yeah. <laughs> The bottom of this is obviously Odo and Kira, <laughs> like the like yes. the like scum of on the bottom of this yeah. this ranking. Yeah, is just why a, did they do that? I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, like it was such a like a, a Mulder Scully will they or won't they that nobody really cared about, and yeah. then finally they they did not, and then they and I, I know if it had been yeah like and this is the thing no one has ever been well. You know, the office successfully did it with Jim and Pam, where they hmm. they did the will they won't they, and then they got them together, and it was actually still good even after they got together. Um, they managed to kind of land that that somersault. Yeah. But so often it's it's done terribly. I don't I don't want to go way too far into the weeds, but there used to be, or I heard about the writer's bible for the X Files, and it yeah. used to be that. You could never, ever have Mulder and Scully kiss. Because once he did that, it would destroy the entire show. Because yeah. all, the, all the chemistry between them just would disintegrate. That would be it. Yeah. Uh, and you'd ruin it. And I feel like in this case with Odo and Kira, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Neither character is as interesting as they were apart. Yeah. And, and also the relationship between them still to me does not make any sense. Well, and it's also like a failure to appreciate that men and women can have strong relationships together that are not romantic. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, I think one of the strengths of 30 Rock is that Liz and uh, Jack never have anything romantic between them. And and it's because it's about a, a work relationship, right? Yeah. And they, they kind of make jokes about how people kind of want them to be romantic. And it's like... No, there's nothing even remotely romantic about it. They yeah. just, they love each other, but in a very platonic way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, and I felt that was the way Odo and, and uh, Kira were. They mm. loved each other platonically, but then they had to have this thing where we had to start imagining them having weird alien intercourse. And uh, I'm terrified and horrified whenever they're together. I think you just don't like... Uh, shapeshifters. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm prejudiced so, against shapeshifters. So to well, bring us to, to bring us back into the episode, <laughs> if Ezri and Quark hooked up, would you be okay with that or not okay? I think it's dumb. I think, I think it would it's be dumb. D U M B. I agree. Uh, so yes, let's get back <laughs> to this episode because we we went on a little bit of a tangent there. But I, you know, what I really liked about this episode, uh, there was a a lot of scenes I liked. My favorite scene was the scene in the mess hall. Uh, where Martok confronts uh, Kor and kind of is trying to humiliate him, and then Kor has that poet poetry line. Yeah, and then which I completely messed up paraphrasing, but yeah. yeah. And then afterwards, Martok says, "You know, I kind of, I kind of defeated him, but it's I don't feel happy at all that I defeated him. You know, mm-hmm. I feel kind of terrible that I did, and I I like that because you know that is so often how it is when you." Um, when you're in conflict with someone and you eventually succeed in defeating them in some way, yeah. it doesn't make you feel better. It just makes you feel kind of like, oh, that was terrible. Why was I 
invested in that. Well, too. and also, uh, Kor doesn't even remember doing this. Yeah. He, they, they, Worf brings it up and he says, I don't know. And he yeah. says, I made me, I did this. Yeah. And so all, all this, all this uh, turmoil is just Martok generating it himself, right? Yeah. Like he's just holding on to something that the other person doesn't even have. Um, it's, it's yeah. I thought and it was it, a very well done scene. Yeah. yeah, and it's complicated, right? Because Kor is a jerk. He is... Um, a pretentious nobleman mm-hmm. who's who is stuck in the past, but at the same time, Martok is holding on to a grudge that should have been let go many yes. years ago. Yeah, and um, and he doesn't really have a reason to humiliate him in this way. It's a really not the best look on him, mm-hmm. and he is embarrassed after it happens. Right after Core kind of successfully uh, diffuses the situation with that that line, and. Uh, so it's a it's a complicated episode or complicated scene, and it really does highlight the complicated emotions. The only thing I would say is I knew Cora was going to die at the end of this. Like yeah. that's that was like the, Klingons are great, but sometimes the solution is just someone dies. Yeah, like that's how everything is fixed, and ever all the Klingons are happy, and so we. But you know, in in our lives, we I can't relate to that. I can't relate to someone just. <laughs> Just going off and killing themselves. So sometimes that's a little bit... And it takes some of the tension out of the episode. Like, I knew he was going to die. I knew yeah. he was going to take Worf's place. I knew that was what was going to happen. See, so again, the episode begins where O'Brien and Bashir are talking about Davy Crockett, the, yeah. the American folk hero who, who died at uh, the Alamo, correct? Yeah. Um, so that's who you're comparing um, Core with. Like, you know he's going to die at the end. But yeah. then there's a... I find it kind of interesting that they bring that in because the discussion is whether it was possible for Davy Crockett to, you know, whatever he's acclaimed of doing, like mm-hmm. some legendary heroic feat that may or may not have actually happened. And uh, Worf says, well, he's either he's either a legend or he's not, like, or he's a yeah. human being. And I if like he's that a human, story. If he's a human being, it doesn't matter either way. He yeah. just died a human. Uh, an ordinary person, and then and that's brought back at the very end of the episode, where where they're amazed that Kor has been able to fend off ten ships at once, and how is that possible? And Worf says it doesn't matter, um, which is kind of beautiful, but it's also sad because you you've realized through the episode that Kor is an actual person. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but all legends are people. They're yeah, all um, they're but, all terrible and awful and disappointing, right? But but he's being replaced. In, in a way, I mean, he'll always be remembered as a legend and, yeah. not, and not as the... Yeah, he'll be remembered obno- as... Obnoxious aristocrat that he was. Yeah, he'll be remembered as, like, you know, all the young people on the ship were remembering him as the Dahar Master who were just mm-hmm. in awe of him being there. Um, they won't remember the doddering old fool, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing I want to mention about this episode um, is I liked Martok's aide, his grumpy aide. <laughs> yeah. The one who goes... Um, Martok's like, I will be happy the day I am free of you. And the <laughs> aide goes, I look forward to that day with great expectation. <laughs> and they're just like, they just hate each other. They just hate each other. And I like great. I like that the aide is also friends with Korra. These two fellow old men who understand yeah. each other and refer to these children. And Yeah. You know. No, that was great. And I... It's, I, a, it's such a minor character and it's done so well. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is what I like about the Klingons. The Klingons are capable of 
they don't get along, right? And mm. conflict is fun, right? And so <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun when they're just, you know, hamming it up, making fun of each other, insulting each other, yeah. you know, and they but they're insulting each other in all sorts of different ways. You know, it's great. They're 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 a great uh, they're a great species. There's a reason why they've been so uh, they so long lasting on on Star Trek. Well, one tiny before we move on, one tiny thing I want to mention a highlight for me was Worf on the bridge catches Martok's oh, knife totally, yeah. in the air and backhands Kor. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And also the whole thing with Kor uh, basically reliving like encountering Captain Kirk. Right? Yes, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like His we're gonna get those his... humans, you know. Yeah. And uh, and that was fun too, right? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, so the, that whole the scene on the the bridge where. Worf and Martok get knocked out and then Kor is going crazy and you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen? That was fun. You know, anytime when there's any sort of like, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm, It's exciting. It's just the ending I was like a little let down by. I felt it could have been more exciting. I loved it. So, <laughs> Sorry, I will mention one last thing. I keep saying this. Uh, the Klingon iPads are really teensy. Have, have you ever noticed this before? They're like really tiny. They're like little iPhones. And they always look so silly in the hands of Klingons. I think it's funny because I think Klingons are, and sometimes are kind of embarrassed by technology. I know. Like if, like, if, if they could just if they could just run around with swords, they'd be happier. Yeah, so like they yeah. don't care about that. Yeah, it's like, Meh. and I love. Yeah, they have to sign things, and he he's like stressing about all this paperwork. And he literally has only three iPads in his hand. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Um, more Klingons all the time. I'm happy about that. <laughs> well, let's move on to episode 8, The Siege of AR-558. Okay, so this episode begins, and it is... Basically, they're going to do a supply run to the Chintaka system, which is the one... Um, the Federation won uh, a, f- a bunch of episodes back, right? They defeated a bunch of Jem'Hadar... And it was this whole big explosion and stuff. And I was very happy about all the explosions. <laughs> and since, yeah. since then, it's been held by some Starfleet troops. Uh, but they've been slowly been whittled down. And so in this episode, they uh, Cisco goes to resupply them. And when he's resupplying them, he finds out that they're all kind of like really bitter and exhausted. And they feel like Starfleet is not supporting them. So... When Worf and the Defiant are attacked, uh, Sisko tells them to fly away and get to safety, and that him and the people on the ground were going to fortify it until they can come back. So uh, this means Sisko, Bashir, Ezri, Quark, and Nog, why Quark's there, who knows, um, have to help fortify this with a bunch of really, really battle-scarred Starfleet officers. They do a bunch of stuff. Basically, everyone's really sad and depressed. Uh, At one point, Nog um, is is hit by a mine and he loses his leg, which is a crazy uh, plot twist. And at the end, it looks like the Jemadar are going to basically overwhelm the entire uh, base, but it turns out that they've managed to repel the Jemadar and but in the fight, all sorts of people die, including Bill Mumi, um, and uh, some other people who mm. uh, we'd grown to feel 
I don't know. Slightly annoyed by actually. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So what did you think of this episode? Um, you and know what? I I appreciate the I appreciate what it was going for, but I hate war movies. Yeah. I'm not into war movies. I know. That being said, you know, there's some war movies that I really enjoyed, like Full Metal Jacket and things like that. But it's because Full Metal Jacket is going for, like, this intensity of experience that is... It's not trying to tell you that war sucks. It's just presenting, like, kind of a kaleidoscopic view of, I don't know, how... How strange war is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, when when it's a complete breakdown of civilization, basically, the, yeah, like, this is what happens. I know, but yeah, I totally agree. And where's well, the... it's kind of like a one note thing, like war is bad. Yeah, exactly. we all know it's bad and it sucks. It's it's not interesting to be told that over and over and over again. Totally, totally, yeah. yeah. So that's what I felt. I was like, this is not interesting. Mm-hmm. I know that all these people are gonna die, um, and I. I'm kind of annoyed that you're using their deaths to explain to me how sucky war is. So, like, for me, for me, the kind of moral message of this is, is it's almost stamped on at the end where, well, at, at the start, you've got Cisco going through the casualty list, right? And he's like, it's really getting hard to, to remember all these names. Yeah. I used to read them all, which is crazy because there's, like, 1,700 names at the end yeah. in, in one report. I'm sure he and was just... He's just pushing his finger up and yeah. scrolling past them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 and at the end, after all the carnage, you know, once again, Kira comes in his office and he's like, we must never forget. And that's, that's such like a cliche about, about war and in cliched war movies. You, you know, all these soldiers remember all of them. And, you know, it's, 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 there's nothing new in this episode. Yeah. And I find that it's almost like a pastiche of especially Vietnam war movies. Yeah. Where you had the really hardened it's it's like got at least two really good character actors in this, right? The uh Patrick Kilpatrick is in a lot of cheesy action movies and things. He's the he's the guy who's wearing the Ketisel white tubes yeah. around his neck, which is like in Vietnam War, those trophy necklaces yeah, yeah. that you've seen in, in movies. Um there's also Vargas who is played by that guy who's in Breaking Bad. In Better Call Saul, he always plays like thugs and things. He's another great character actor, Raymond yeah. Cruz. Um, but it's just kind of like, I don't know. Like I've seen it in movies, and I've seen it done a lot better. Yeah, right? it felt like, it felt like, um, it almost felt like a parody of Aliens. Like the yeah, like some of the get me out of here, man. Yeah, like, which like, which is itself touches on oh, you know, yeah. Vietnam War movies and yeah. things. Yeah. But, I mean, Aliens is done with so much more vim and vigor and fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the problem here is that there's too much emphasis on, yeah, this one note. Sad, sad, sad. And, you know, because they didn't want to complicate the moral message by saying, you know what, war is kind of fun, too, and exciting, you know? And, yeah. And people get really um, uh, thrilled by war. And there's a reason why people sign up to become soldiers, right? They... So- they want to be they want to be powerful and and crazy and yeah so there's there's one there's one weird moral thing in this where in a lot of these movies where it's like war is really messed up i can't like what the heck's going on there's always an an element where the grunt soldiers are fed up with the people above them right which we yeah. see in this they're like they don't even care about us which you know and they've put us on the suicide mission we're abandoned nobody back home cares yeah, about yeah. us 
Um, and and in this in this episode, they start playing that. But then Cisco, who's one of the most senior people in Starfleet, um, he's heroic because he stays behind. And it's almost like it 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 almost subverts it because you have the ranking commander who is heroic because he de- he decides to stay with them for a few days. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's bizarre to me. I it don't is know. bizarre, and he was really a jerk when he first arrived. Yeah, like if you were going on a supply mission and there's like a bunch of burnt out soldiers, you wouldn't be like, yeah, you're gonna have to stay here a little bit longer, right? Mm-hmm. You'd be like, guys. You've done an amazing job. You know, you're you're real... Like, you'd be, like, talking about how great they are. Yeah. You know, you'd be, like, giving them a really passionate speech. Really trying to help these people feel strong and feel powerful. And he gives the worst speech yeah. to Nog after Nog has lost his leg. And Nog's like, is it worth it? And Cisco goes, I hope to God it is. Like, what? <laughs> no, you say it was, you know? Yeah. Like, this person just was maimed. Yeah. You... You lie. You make up anything just to make so, them feel better. Um, yeah, I just find, I find that there are so many cliches in this that they don't they don't dismantle or put a spin on it. Yeah, it, it's just it's just one cliche after another, and it's I don't know. One of the one of the ones is Quark's position here. Is Quark to Cisco saying like you don't actually care about Nog? What are you doing? And Cisco saying, well, he signed up for this. This is what yeah. he wants to do. And I care about all my soldiers, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've heard this so many times, it's just, I don't yeah. know. And, uh, yeah, and as you said, there's no new spin on it. There's nothing different or anything interesting about it. Mm-hmm. Um, why Quark was there in the beginning makes no sense. Reporting for the, yeah, he was reporting for on, the Grand Nagus on, on the front lines. Why? Yeah. There is no purpose. There's no one to trade with on that planet. Mm-hmm. Why would he go to that planet? It's the middle of... It's like literally their only foothold in the Dominion territory. There is no reason for Quark to be there. There is no reason for Ezri to be there, for her to, to beam down. Mm-hmm. Zero reason. Yeah. And uh, the only reason... like I, Quark, obviously, the writers wanted him to be there to be like a foil for um, Nog so they could have discussions and things like that. Yeah. Which is fine, but... That whole aspect of it was stupid. Ezri being there bothered me so much because her place should have been taken by O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they needed an engineer or whatever, and she suddenly has engineering abilities. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I hate when they do this, when they know that they want to start using a character and they don't have enough of a reason to use them, so they magically give them special abilities just to fit the plot. And it's like, no. Mm -hmm. No, she should be, like... Sure, she was an engineer, like, whatever, 200 years ago. She should barely remember how to be an engineer. And it should be, like, ancient technology, right? Like, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, it is... That would be way more interesting... Yeah, um, but that was frustrating for me. Was it should have been O'Brien, but they just wanted to use Ezri because they just probably feel like they need to use her more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just this whole thing of like we're getting to know these characters, and you know they're just gonna die. Like, mm-hmm. it, there's no suspense or any sort of like, oh, you know that one's gonna like no, you just know they're all gonna die. Yeah, 
Like, that's the point of this episode, and you're just made to sit through it and, like, endure it. So we both give this a thumbs down? I think we both give this a thumbs down. You know, and I'd heard about this episode, and I was, like, kind of interested yeah. by it, but I was, like, I was watching it, and I was like, no, this is not my thing at all. No. Um, one, one thing, one final thing from me, because I honestly don't really have anything else to, to, to talk about. Is when Bashir puts like I <laughs> there's a weird part of this episode where Vic Fontaine is, is oh yeah in, is in it oh and uh, Bashir's like or somebody's like oh can you record or play these old wartime oh, songs yeah. I don't know why they're obsessed with with oh, this Vic God. Fontaine and then they're about to go into battle and and Nog's whole role or you know people are sorry Nog's injured at the time but they're trying to listen I know listen for them and then all of a sudden Bashir starts playing Vic Fontaine in the background. I know. And people appreciate this. I was waiting for someone to be like, shut, shut up, up, Bashir, or shut somebody up. go and take him out. But that didn't happen. Yeah. No, that made no sense. I mean, the other thing is, too, it just... Why Vic Fontaine? Why Vic Fontaine? I was watching it, like, whenever I see Vic mm. Fontaine, I'm like, why is he on the show? It doesn't make any sense. He's The show opens with him... Uh, auditioning Rom for some part of his show and yeah. it's like why is a hologram auditioning people for yeah. his show? You know what? That was a, that was actually the one highlight for me in this episode because the more I think about it the more absurd it is. I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it like, was Because he's like you know you're not a hologram I can't hire you right? And Nogs, and then Bashir walks in and Nog says don't Rom. bother he's not sorry Rom and Ron tells Bashir, don't even bother, he's not hiring, and walks out. So it, That was weird. It was so weird, and it just doesn't make... <laughs> it has nothing to do with the rest. It's oh. like, that entire scene was just a reason to remind us that Vic Fontaine exists, and to allow Bashir to play music at the yeah. end of the episode. Um, it just reminded me that it would have been so much better if Vic Fontaine had been an alien that was obsessed with 1950s music. Yes, that would have been so much better. Yeah. Or an alien who's obsessed with 1950s music who somehow takes over the Hollow Suite. No, I mean, <laughs> get out of the Hollow Suite. No, no, if he, there was like a new lounge bar or yeah, something like that. Yeah, he's like, this is the height of human culture. Yeah, exactly, and, and yeah. American jazz culture from the 30s or 50s. And or he, had 50s, like a, right? he had weird makeup on, but he yeah. wore like a tux all the time, but he sang like a, a Rat Packer. That would have been amazing. You just... You just completely uh, overhauled Vic Fontaine and yeah. made him a million times better. And he could have been called Vic Fontaine, but if he yeah. was just an alien, it would have been so much better. Yeah. And it would have been like, because then he could be an actual character that interacts with everyone and like does stuff and, and hires or people. Or some distant planet and they got our radio signals and, and that was a... That was like music that they're really into, and it transformed their culture. Yeah. And so and so they all have like Rat Pack singer names. Yeah, yeah. They, they name their children like Frank or whatever. Oh, totally. Yeah. And no, like all the all the the females have like rolled hair yeah. and stuff. Like yeah. that would have been hilarious. Yeah. Why didn't they do that? Right. I don't know. But um, uh, yeah, th- it, that would be so much better than a stupid hologram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired of. But I feel bad beating up on Vic Fontaine because the actor seems like a nice guy. He seems like, like a nice yeah, guy, yeah. He's but good. it's just such a terrible. It doesn't fit. It's such a. It's not even just it doesn't fit. It just seems. It 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 seems like we're being force fed this without any like recognition that does the audience want it, 
Mm. And it seems like, no, the audience does not want this. The audience has never said, let's get... You know what? You know what science fiction shows need more of? 1950s Rat Pack singers, you know? So I... Yeah, I am not into this. I hate Vic Fontaine. I thought it was so stupid that they were playing music during a battle. Like, Mm. it would be more interesting if it was... um, you know, like, you know, in Apocalypse Now, when uh, that um, sergeant comes in or whatever, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's coming in on the helicopter and he's playing uh, Flight of the Valkyries. Yeah, yeah. And it's all part of him, his intention to t- terrify the, uh, yeah. the opponent, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, they have they, they don't know what uh, Wagner is like, but it's just, he doesn't care. It's like, it's all part of his own like weird psychosis and it doesn't impact his ability to, to cause carnage and shoot people, right? Yeah, I, I agree. This episode to me felt like people who wanted to, to do a rah, 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 hooray for the US military. Um, I mean, I don't want to simplify it like that, but that, but, but, that, but that to... the writer, the writers had watched a bunch of old Hollywood war movies and then just hit every single cliche in them. Yeah. And Vietnam war movies, and then that, and then here's an episode. And I think stuff like Apocalypse Now. There's a, I think it was an HBO show, Generation Kill or Generation. Was that what it was called? Anyways, movies that complicated that show uh, that show. Um, I don't know. I just they just show you know Apocalypse Now. We mentioned Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket. They it, they show the kind of kaleidoscopic strangeness of war, right? Yeah. Like there's all sorts of scenes that don't seem to fit together. Like in Apocalypse Now, you have that weird USO um, performance in the middle of this war, mm-hmm. and it's meant to show how weird and strange it is in the middle of all this carnage to have someone going on about how great America is and stuff. Yeah. It's uh, you know, and that's. And that's a deep and profound way to approach this material. This is so superficial and like, I think this is the thing. If you're approaching death, you have to do it in kind of a a light touch way Mm -hmm. or else if you're trying to go down into like really deep emotions, you have to be saying something much more profound than war sucks. Yeah. I, for me, the, the best, the best stuff on war as we've, talked about is just the absurdity of it when it yeah. achieves that effect of the absurd i think it, it's yeah it's at its best yeah i mean we've talked about uh mike and i have talked about a, a book that we really like um kaput kaput yeah. yeah that's funny i was i was actually thinking about yeah. kaput um and it's about how how war creates these scenes and images that are mm-hmm. so surreal and bizarre that um, it it's kind of beautiful in a way, but also you know, terrifying. You know, I was thinking about that book during this episode. I think because of Quark, where he was assigned to do this uh, a Frontlines report, and and Caput is written by this Italian German writer, um, and he he was basically a reporter. He was a journalist on the front lines, and because he was um, Italian, he was invited by the German army to go to the front lines in a lot of different places and write about it. Um, but it, his writing is kind of half fiction, half half reportage. You're not really sure where well, it stands and yeah. what's sure not. But but again, the, just the, the um, it's beautifully written. 
I know this isn't a books podcast, but <laughs> but we but, moved, we moved there. Sorry, just, yeah. Just read the book. Don't watch just this episode. Read Caput. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and just you know, there's a lot. I mean, we're we're probably unfairly comparing this to the masterpieces of world literature and filmdom that <laughs> talked yeah. about I've talked about war. But I, that's the thing. War is such a big thing that if you're not if you don't have a big canvas and you're not uh, attacking it in a really serious way, you can. Um, you can run afoul of it very yeah, easily. Yeah, the worst thing you can do is to simplify it and just speak in cliches, which yeah. is, I, I don't want to dump on this episode more than I have, but that's pretty much what this episode is. <laughs> okay, I think we're going to finish there. Uh, unless you have anything further you want to no, add? No, no, no. I've said too much. <laughs> I haven't said enough. Oh my gosh. Um, so we'll leave it there. Um, so uh, once again, uh, if you want to contact us, please send us a message over Facebook, Twitter, or Gmail at rrds9podcast at gmail.com. And once again, thanks for listening. Have a great week.